Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're going to talk about AI and AI in business and what are you supposed to know and what are you supposed to do to get it right. And the reason is that also when you look at the fintechs in the last few years, a lot of them started with saying we are blockchain enabled, we are now AI enabled, right? And uh, maybe sometimes it's about platforms as well these days. But we're going to focus on AI, artificial intelligence, what are you supposed to know so that you can leverage this technology, finding solutions for your clients, uh, whether you're an incumbent or your startup or a scale-up. And that's why we have Kavita that has written a great book on this. We're going to talk about that as well. So thank you so much for joining us. How are you today, Kavita? I'm doing well, Rudy, and thank you for having me on your show. Great stuff. So thank you so much. Can you tell us about your background? How did you get to do what you do today? So my experience with AI started way back in uh, 2005 when I was pursuing my master's degree in computer science at the University of Southern California. So they have a really good AI research going on. And I happened to take a class under one of the professors there and I was really drawn into the AI field. And I wanted to really apply AI. But at that time, to contribute contribute in any way to AI, you have to either be an academic or you have to be a research scientist at an industry lab. So I chose to do the latter. So I went back to do my PhD in the field. I specialized in NLP, machine learning, and search technologies. But as I was about to graduate and become a research scientist, data science really started to take off. It became a thing and it was really taking off at that time. So instead of becoming a research scientist, I just jumped into data science and started solving a whole bunch of problems, industry problems. And at the same time as I was doing that, different companies were approaching me, asking me for help to implement AI in their company. So that's how my consulting practice got its start. And on the, on the consulting side, I was working mostly with the leaders of, and as I was working more and more with leaders, I started seeing that there is a huge disconnect between what AI is at the leadership level versus what it really is at the implementation level, which is how my book really came to be. It provides like a common ground of understanding of what AI is so that leaders and practitioners can come together and maximize the success of AI. So my book and my consulting tend to go hand in hand right now. All right, brilliant. So sounds like a good timing, right? Because when it comes to AI, we also had AI winters. We've been enjoying an AI summer for a while. So great timing what you have done. Now, 
obviously, if you assume that you are developing an AI technology, that's different. But let's focus on the companies which are using AI to solve their problems or their clients' problems. How can such companies get started with the adoption of AI, including, let's say, concrete strategies or real-world examples that you could give us? Yeah, so the first step in the adoption of AI is to actually recognize where the opportunity is within your company. Uh, because your company is different from other companies within your industry. So you'll want to look at existing inefficiencies that are well understood in your company. Look at customer feedback, employee feedback. Look at existing software automation. So what you want to find is software automation opportunities or better software automation opportunities. And a small percentage of that will be suitable for AI. And a smaller percentage will actually be ready for implementation. So that's step one, recognizing the opportunities within your company. And once you do that, for the long-term adoption of AI, there are gaps within your company that you'll have to fill in order to be successful with AI. So for example, your company may be fearful about AI. Employees may not be ready to adopt AI solutions. So that's a cultural gap that needs to be addressed. Or you may not be used to making data-driven decisions, but AI systems require that you make data-driven decisions. So that's another cultural element that needs to be uh, addressed. And there may be other gaps like data gaps. You may not be aggressively collecting data. And AI systems are heavily data-dependent. That's how these AI systems learn. So you need to know what are the AI readiness gaps within your company so that you can prepare for the long term? So once you have found the AI opportunities, step one, and your AI readiness gaps, then you can come up with a plan, really. So let's say you find that a lot of the AI opportunities are in customer service. So maybe in five years, you want to make customer service your competitive advantage powered by AI-driven solutions. But in order to get there, there are certain pilots that you have to execute today. There are certain gaps that you need to fill today. And you have to do this using short-term strides. But with the two data points that you discovered, you can actually come up with those with a good plan to achieve your long-term goals with AI. I see. I think it makes sense, uh, complete sense. Now, if you want to reiterate this and how do you get your company ready for AI and you link it you can link it to your book right you talk about the five pillars for AI preparation so let's maybe repeat some of those and dive into the others we haven't mentioned yet yeah so in order to find those gaps within your company there are really five pillars that you need to be looking into the first is the cultural pillar so essentially the fears around AI the ability to work as a cross-functional team. So if your team is used to working in silos, AI initiatives actually require cross-functional teams. So it requires maybe data scientists, software engineers, a domain expert, and a business stakeholder all working together. So there are many cultural elements that need to be addressed. Then the second thing is the infrastructure. So your IT infrastructure may not be able to natively support AI. Uh, because AI systems sometimes require a lot more computer, computation power than you could afford. And it also requires like, special development 
and deployment platforms. So that's part of the infrastructure pillar that you need to look into. You need to experiment with all these different things to figure out what's best for your organization. Then the third thing is your data infrastructure pillar. So you may not be aggressively collecting data. So you need to start that process. Or you may be working using paper processes. So you have to think about digitalization of your paper processes. Or you may not be logging data in certain, certain circumstances that are important. So you have to think about that. Or your data stores operate in silos. So if you're a large company, if your data stores in silos, you need to think about warehousing these data sources so that <clears throat> you have a common way to access uh, all your different sources. Then you have the skills readiness pillar. So as you, data scientists and data engineers are in shortage, so you can't directly hire these people. You may have to retrain people from within your organization into these newer roles. So maybe you have to think about how you can retrain software engineers to transition them in, uh, into data science roles or database managers into data engineering roles. So there's a lot of upskilling and reskilling that needs to go on within the company. And leaders themselves need to be trained to be able to recognize AI opportunities because they are the ones sitting closest to the problem. So they need to be able to recognize opportunities and then send it over to the AI implementers. And all of this has to be supported by a sizable budget. Now, this may seem like a lot, but really you don't have to do it all at one go. You first have to identify your gaps and come up with short-term plans. What are the most important gaps to fill first and then work your way up. So it may take a year, it may take two years, but it's going to set you up for the long term with the adoption of AI. Right. Now, let's focus on that recognition of the opportunities first, because we talked about it before that it's important to look at the problem and then the solution rather than to be in love with the technology. And then, of course, that's related to budget or if you are a startup related to a funding people will also ask, is this problem worth solving? And that means how big is that problem? What does that mean in terms of numbers? So unlike when you sometimes have an IT discussion, people often focus just on the costs. And I always say to people when, for example, I do coaching, it would be much easier discussion if you could come up with some benefits. It's like your mini business case rather than to just focus on the costs. So in other words, what steps companies should take to recognize AI opportunities that are most suitable for businesses? Typically what happens from what I've seen is that people automatically think that software automation opportunities are AI opportunities, but really most software automation opportunities just require software engineering, just simple rules. Um, AI opportunities have a specific character. First of all, it often solves a complex decision-making problem. So for example, if you're trying to classify if a credit card transaction is fraudulent or not, you'll have to look at a lot of different data points to make that decision. Maybe the current transaction value, previous transaction value, the merchant, the location. So all sorts of information to render that decision. 
And it's not a one-time thing. You'll have to do it on a case-by-case basis over and over again. So this is, in effect, tedious. And it's a complex decision-making problem, even for a human. So those type of problems are suitable for AI. Another example is if you have to use your years of domain expertise in order to render a decision, this is also a complex decision-making problem. Or if you have to make uh, a very careful observation of things in order to come up with a decision, like you have to look at two images and see if they're identical. So this requires really careful observation. So this also is a complex decision-making problem. So that's how you want to think about AI problems. They should solve a complex problem. Then the next thing is you should also think about if it starts to make business sense. So if you're solving this problem once every six months, maybe it's cheaper to just hire somebody to do it once every six months. But if you're solving this problem every hour, every single day, and it's a tedious task, then it starts to make business sense because you're going to get some sort of benefit out of automating the process. So that's the second thing you need to look into. Now, the third thing is that AI systems are heavily dependent on data. At least today, they are, they are very dependent on the availability of data to learn. So you'll have to see if the data is available. So let's say you have been doing this credit card transaction classification manually. So is that data from the manual process available? Or if you've been using just regular software automation, is the data from that software automation available? Because that's going to support the initiative to automate it with AI. So these are the first three questions you want to ask about every AI opportunity that you have. And that will set you up for the for really for success. And I think it's a good reminder for everybody out there, just because you hear automation, it doesn't necessarily mean it's AI, right? Mm-hmm. Not every software can be classified as AI. I also remember an article by a European VC investor who said that maybe 40% of AI-driven startups or AI-powered startups yeah. they look at are actually AI to some degree, of which 90% are machine learning supervised. Uh, So not something that you would expect if you just watch uh, Black Mirror on Netflix or something like that. Mm -hmm. Now let's move on to the execution. So if you're clear on the opportunities, you're clear on your big picture, on your readiness, on what's really required, how how should you go about executing your AI solutions when it comes to building your capabilities in-house or maybe outsourcing your problem. So can you do it without hiring a data, team of data scientists? Can any company do this? And then when it comes to outsourcing, obviously many companies are saying that, well, we cannot uh, put our data to Kaggle because it's all confidential. So how mm-hmm. can we do it? And then they feel a little bit paralyzed. So what would you advise them to do? Yeah, first of all, you have to be sure that AI is the right solution for the problem. So if, it, if there's a simpler solution, that's the one you should use because AI is not cheap. So once you're sure that AI is the right solution, there are a few options. If it's a common problem, like trying to predict sentiment in text, then 
there are a lot of prepackaged solutions available out there. But in order to really get value from such solutions, you have to test it. You have to test multiple solutions and see which ones work on your data because those prepackaged solutions are fairly general and they can work differently on different types of data. So testing is the key and having your own internal metrics while testing is also um, important. And then there are other solutions where they are also prepackaged, but you can customize on your data. And this again still doesn't require that you hire data scientists. You can do it with your engineers, just the customization piece. And both of these prepackaged options still need integration into your business systems, but you could manage it with your own uh, IT team or your own software engineers. You, you don't really need to hire a bunch of data scientists. But some solutions uh, need to be custom built, especially if they're very domain specific. And in those cases, you can hire freelancers or consultants who actually come into your company and use your data to build out the data science piece. But the integration still can be done by your other engineers. And the key is to make sure that these data science pieces are built really well. So the integration becomes just a software engineering thing and uh, not really tweaking the mod and such. And if you have ongoing projects, like if you have ongoing AI projects every quarter, then it starts to make sense to actually hire a data scientist. But otherwise, hiring a freelancer or a consultant, especially now when a lot of people have transitioned into consulting roles, it's a really good way of getting your AI solutions built up. So it's like with any other problem you have in the company, yeah. if it's permanent, then you should hire a permanent solution for it. Yeah. Otherwise, you can turn to consultants or freelancers. But what do you think about Kaggle? I'm quite interested because that's unique to AI, right? To turn the whole process upside down where you don't uh, hire somebody, they do the work, you pay them afterwards, but you put the problem out there, you turn it into a competition and the winner gets paid and everybody else unfortunately doesn't. Yeah, if your data, if you already have an existing solution and you want to get the best possible solution out there, putting it out on Kaggle can be a good idea, but you have to keep in mind that this only works if there are no privacy issues involved. In a lot of healthcare applications, they can't just put it out to Kaggle because there's a lot of confidentiality involved. But if it's like an internet platform where the data is already public, then Kaggle does make sense to get the best possible solution. Okay. But, yeah. All right. Understood. Yeah. Now, let's double down on this thing that sometimes the AI term is being overused a little bit. So what is not appropriate to expect from AI? Yeah. So a lot of people think that AI systems will be accurate 100% out of the box. But really, AI systems come with certain accuracy. So if it's 95% accurate, it's a 5% chance that it's going to make mistakes. And that's on data that, that it understands quite well. On new data, it's going to make a lot more mistakes. So it's unrealistic to expect AI system to be accurate. You should expect some level of inaccuracy and you should be prepared on how to handle that. And that will also inform how you should use 
the AI system if it's going to make mistake and that mistake can cost lives. So maybe you should use the AI as a, like a support system rather than a sole decision maker. So that's one thing that you should expect from AI. The second is that, like we mentioned, I mentioned earlier, not all software automation projects are suitable for AI. AI projects are only good for complex problems with large volume problems. Right. Now, let's dive into this a little bit more because related to automation, there is one other fancy buzzword out there, which is called RPA or robotic process automation. Mm -hmm. So is this something that you can say that this is AI related or this is a simple automation software? So there are two trains of thought. Sometimes people think that RPA and AI are the same. And sometimes they sell this as competing two competing technologies. But really, RPA is like a high-level concept. It's about when you automate a task previously done by a human with the use of software. That concept is RPA. But under the hood, RPA can use any possible technology. It can use just simple software engineering. It could use AI. It could use anything else. But AI is just this specific technology that tries to mimic human decision-making within a computer using algorithms. So they're not synonymous, really. Brilliant. So I think this is a great answer for a quiz uh, for one of my courses on AI or digital transformation. Everybody listen to this uh, particular question. I think it's it's a very well said what you just uh, explained here. Now, let's also look at the success of AI from yet another angle. And I think it's a combination of model success or AI model, the yeah. business success and, and the user success. So why is that? First of all, do you agree? And if yes, why is that? So if you go to a company and you ask an executive, uh, what does success of AI mean to you? Sometimes they'll say maybe a financial gain. Then if you ask a data scientist, they'll say a high accuracy model. But really the success of an AI initiative is made up of model success, business success, and user success. So first of all, the model has to be solving the problem accurately. So it has to be performing well during development and in production. Otherwise, it's going to produce random predictions, and that defeats the whole purpose of the AI model. So model success is important, but model is also a means to achieve business success. So you still need to measure the business component. And the business success is directly tied to the pain point that the model is trying to solve. So are you trying to reduce the time to solve a specific task? Or are you trying to reduce employee attrition? What is it that you're trying, what is the problem that you're trying to solve with the model? So that's what you measure on, on the business side. And model success and business success alone does not determine the success of an AI initiative because there's a whole user component to it, the consumer of the AI output. Now, if the consumer is not happy with the AI solution, they may be going back to their old way of doing things in the long term. So there's an adoption risk there. So let's say they have to take 10 extra steps in their workflow to consume the AI output. So you're, you're, you've essentially introduced friction 
in their workflow. So while they might use it in the short term, in the long term, they may not want to use the AI solution. So you want to make sure that the user is also satisfied with the AI solution. And by asking the user about how they feel about the AI solution, you also surface other issues like other model problems that you may have not captured quantitatively. So a lot of issues can surface by just talking to users. So for an initiative to be successful, really, AI initiative to be successful, all these three pillars, model success, business success, and user success, need to be strong. Only then will you achieve long-term AI success for that initiative. Brilliant. This is clear. Now, unfortunately, some of the companies, they also engage in what you could call a vanity AI project. Can you comment on this? And why do you think that probably such attempts are pointless? So vanity AI takes different forms. And the most common is when people come out the AI initiatives with no true purpose to it. So maybe another company within the same industry, they had uh, used AI for a specific problem. So you may be compelled to solve the same problem within your company. Or, or somebody within your team may have had a cool idea. So maybe you, that becomes a big AI initiative. But the problem with this is that it may not be solving a real problem within your company. And in the end, you may say that th those initiatives actually happen to go nowhere. And you may say that AI is not creating value for the company because those models that you develop don't really have a purpose. So it becomes just an expensive experiment. So the problems should be very relevant to your business. Even if it's not a huge problem with a huge impact, it should still be very relevant to your business. Of course, let's hope the business leaders will, will pay attention to this and, and stay away from vanity AI. Mm -hmm. Now, let's dive into one more thing or follow up on what you just said before that what is AI, what is not, what can you expect from AI or you shouldn't. When you look at different sort of models, when you just uh, take a course, you can see machine learning, you can see supervised, unsupervised, deep learning, all kinds of things like this. But when it comes to business, I think generally you would see that machine learning is the core driver of business AI applications. And yeah. so why is that? Yeah, so back in the day, before 2000, 2000s, I think, AI systems were heavily rules-based. So an expert have to encode their knowledge in the form of software rules. And you can imagine how hard this process will be to encode an exhaustive set of rules for each and every problem. But with machine learning now, those rules are automatically learned based on data. So once you have defined your problem, you've defined your data, the rules are automatically discovered. And this is very, this makes it very versatile. It can cross different domains. It can uh, work on any type of data, language data, images, essentially any type of data. So that's why machine learning is a really great way for applying AI within businesses because all you need is the correct type of data. 
I see. Yet, why some businesses are slow to adopt AI, even though there is need and desire to do so? Yeah, so the problem with AI right now is that there is a lot of confusion at different levels of the organization. So leaders want AI to be implemented within the company fast. But as the message trickles down to the lower parts of the organization, to the implementers really, they don't really know what problems to solve with AI. So what they do is they look at the data and come up with potential problems to solve. And a lot of times those problems may not be real challenges that are relevant to the business. So those initiatives actually go nowhere because they're not solving real problems. So then leaders think, hey, AI is not really creating value for us. What is this? But really, the leaders and domain experts need to be a big part of AI adoption because they are the ones sitting closest to the challenges facing the company. So if they're able to spot opportunities, they can send it down to the AI implementers to get those problems solved uh, if AI is, in fact, the right solution. But right now, um, things are left to the hands of data scientists, and that's not the right approach for AI adoption. All right. So thank you so much, Kavita. Now, very valuable insights. I think if you want to learn more, definitely check out Kavita's book on the five pillars for AI preparation. I'll put the link into the show notes. And then hopefully we will see some progress when it comes to AI in business. Before we uh, wrap up, I just have one last question. Very easy, Kavita. What's the best way to reach out and find out more? And who would you like to hear from most? Sure. So you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or you can uh, visit my website at kavita-ganesan.com. And you can also download three free chapters of my book on my website. And feel free to join my mailing list, which you can sign up on uh, from my website. Oh, wow. So fantastic. Thank you so much. And uh, good luck, Kavita, and AI in business uh, for all of us. Yeah, thank you for having me, Rudy. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.